an honor to be introduced by your son. And whoever does the bottle, this one is fresh because I still have mine. So for sake of uh, uh, making sure you don't double use, so whoever does that, we'll leave that right there. And you all have done so great in taking care of, of us and all of these preachers. And uh, what an honor. So much work that goes into all of this and the meals. Uh, Miss Jeannie, I, I hear your name connected to all of these meals, and not just you, but uh, all of the different people that are involved uh, with it. And I know, I, I think maybe from what I pick up on, that she oversees it. And, uh, but without your help, um, maybe she has five or six other overseers. I don't know. But all of you all together, you have done such a great job. And uh, I just have enjoyed the week. I don't believe I have been to any better meetings in years. And I mean that. Um, I, I've been in auditoriums that were packed and with thousands of people in different conferences across the country. I've heard some of the most well-known preachers preach through the years. And uh, to come to Little Place in Campbell, Missouri, and to hear preachers that as a whole I'd never heard before in my life. And I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever been so filled and so refreshed. And uh, it has just been tremendous. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your hard work. I was dreading coming, to be honest, um, because I'm looking at the temperature. And two days before we came, this is the truth, two days before we came, and two or three, just a few days before, I, I, I said to my wife, I said, this is crazy. It's going to be 90 and 100 degrees, and we're going to be preaching out in the tabernacle. I said, we're going to lose people out there. I said, that's, that's going to happen. And, and uh, I said, the, they're going to have to call the paramedics. I'm just dreading it. Who wants to preach out in the middle of 100-degree weather? And my wife said, the meeting's inside in an air-conditioned building. I said, yes, I am in. I love it. My whole attitude changed. It really did. My whole attitude changed. And I've had a good attitude ever since. So uh, I, you all just did such a, a great job in taking care of everybody. So thank you. Yeah, we're down to earth like everybody else is. And, and, um, and by the way, I'm going to tell a little bit on your, your previous pastor, just like them. Our family has a lot of similarities, and uh, Joshua talks about our family. We don't all just sit around and talk about the Bible all the time. We, we, we cut up with each other and laugh and carry on, but it's not unusual for us to something to come up about the Lord and a song, and we get to talking about things of the Lord, and the tears just run down our cheeks as we rejoice about how good uh, God has been to us, and, and so not unusual, and it's not unusual for us uh, to get the guitar out and the banjo and, and play Wildwood Flower or something like that, and this is where I'm headed. I come over here la uh, the other night, and Brother Tony and Dadwood, they were over here. It's the first time I'd met Dadwood, and uh, they, were, they were over here playing, and um, uh, 
Brother Wood, Dad, I say that respectfully again, is playing on the guitar a song called Windy and Warm. And uh, those of you who play the guitar, it, that, that's not a religious song, uh, so that you all know. And, uh, and just a pretty song. I started learning it about uh, four or five months ago. And I, it's a beautiful song. And so we're just down-to-earth people. And uh, what a joy to be here. I'm going to preach a message this morning. I don't have the opportunity to preach this message very much. And uh, you all are new to me. And, and, and sometimes when I go to a new church, I'm able to preach some of these messages that I haven't preached in years. And thus will be the case this morning. And the reason why I want to preach this, one, because I don't have the opportunity to preach it uh, all that much. And, and, and it'll give us an opportunity to get a little more acquainted uh, with each other. I know you know about us, but you only know four months worth about us. I don't know what stories your pastor has told about our family, um, and, and, and don't believe all of them, okay? Uh, and, and so um, I want to give my testimony this morning. Uh, you know, I thought, what, what greater time just to come with a group of people uh, where we can just relax a little bit and you can hear my testimony. I'll do it in, in message form. And I just want to tell you how I got saved. And boy, I'm so glad I'm saved. And um, I'm glad that after, uh, oh my, almost 50 years that it hasn't gotten old to me. And uh, don't ever allow your salvation to get old to you. I tell my testimony enough at home that my son-in-law, Nick, he imitates me all the time. And so I get to tell him a testimony sometimes. And before I'll tell it, I, I tease and I'll say, I'm going to sit down. Nick, why don't you come up and tell my testimony? He imitates my voice, my motions, my everything. And, uh, and so <laughs> that's okay with me. I'm all right if all the people in our church have my testimony memorized. That means I'm not ashamed to tell it, even if you've heard it before. And uh, so um, I want to tell you my testimony this morning, and we'll do so with a little bit of imagination. I'm, I, I'm going to cover it in the blanket uh, with a message that I've titled this morning, The Drifter Who Climbed to Hell. The Drifter Who Climbed to Hell. One of my favorite messages that I have preached through the years that I enjoy preaching it, a little bit of imagination that I want you to use uh, this morning. And by the way, somebody throughout the week, it seems that somebody kept raising their hand or not raising their hand. I don't know if it was a visitor or maybe it was somebody in here. And you're sitting here this morning and you don't have your salvation settled I encourage you this morning, you ought to get that settled, and I wouldn't hold off. By the way, it might be that everybody thinks that you're saved. We've had preachers come by about four or five years ago. We had a preacher came by, preached on the Holy Spirit of God, and talked about salvation, and uh, one of our adults went forward and got saved, and somebody else went forward and got saved. I mean to tell you, the Holy Spirit of God began to move in the hearts of people that are regular church members. I think we had over 30-something church members that got saved uh, throughout the week. That could be the case here. I'm not saying 30-something, but it might be that you've been struggling with your salvation, and if it's just one, it's, it's worth you getting that settled uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. 
and we will begin in verse 13, and let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for such sweet people that we can be with today. I always miss being at home and getting texts from our people uh, this morning of, of them missing us and, and little things that are happening at, at, at home, and, but I can't think of any better place to be if I'm not home than to be right here. And so I pray that you'll take these next few minutes and use the, the time that we have with each other to be a blessed time, a time where we can give praise and honor to you again, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The Bible makes reference to many different types and bodies of water. For example, the scripture makes reference to a water where you will never thirst. It makes reference to a well that will never run dry. It makes reference to a pure river of water of life. The scripture makes reference, to, it says that I will give water to him that is thirsty. The Bible talks about lakes and fountains and streams and brooks and rivers. This morning, I want us to use our imagination and I'm going to make reference to the river of life. You see, every one of us, when we were born, we were born into the river of life. The problem with being born into the river of life is that when we were born into the river of life, we were born floating and drifting in the wrong direction. Just as the Mississippi River empties itself into the Gulf of Mexico, the river of life empties itself into a place called the Lake of Fire. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, the scripture says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation, just another chapter over, chapter 21 and, and verse 8 says, But the fearful and the unbelievable and the abominable and murders, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so we're all born into this river, but uh, the river of life, but we're born drifting in the wrong direction. The only hope that we have in to, that to keep us from falling off into this lake of fire that the Bible refers to as the second death is if we take advantage of the log jams of grace that God has established in this river of life. I'll mention those log jams of grace in just a moment that God has given to all of us. I'm an outdoorsman, not as much as 
I was when, when your pastor was uh, in our area, but we've hunted together and fished together, and, and we spent a lot of time in tree stands together, and then he got old enough uh, to where he would be in, in one stand and I would be in another stand. I was with him when he killed his first deer and many deer after that, uh, and uh, a lot of laughter and fun on the riverbank. Uh, uh, catching fish with with each other and and telling the outdoor stories and participating in in the outdoor life and so we we've enjoyed uh, the outdoors with each other. I love wildlife stories. An eagle is 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 a very amusing and an amazing uh, bird. Some of the characteristics of an eagle is that a a an eagle has a wingspan can have a wingspan of about six uh, feet uh, in width. The eagle can fly right straight into the sun and look into the sun and uses that as a defensive mechanism as it will fly right directly uh, to the north into the sun and the other birds don't have the eye and the, the protection that the eagle has and they are blinded as they look into the sun but the eagle can fly directly into the sun and, and not be harmed and use it as a defensive uh, mechanism. The eagle, we, we hear the term the eye of an eagle. The eagle has a very good uh, uh, eyesight and um, an eagle can spot a rat that is on the ground from about uh, two to three miles up into the air and yet can still spot a rat that is on the ground. With that in mind, the eagle can dive at the rate of speed of close to 200 miles an hour. And uh, so if you see a rat and you're that far up on the ground and uh, you see food on the ground to dive at 200 miles an hour, I guess it would need that speed to do so. Now you let a sparrow try that and it'd be naked before it hit the ground, amen. And so it just looked like a hairless bird or a featherless bird uh, when it got there. And so the eagle is a very unique, uh, a very unique uh, animal. The story that I'd heard years ago about a specific eagle, a game warden that was a game warden in a mountainous area during the springtime, and, and one of the things that, that was his responsibility would often to be go up into the different towers, and, and I don't know if you have any here in this area, but I know if you get into mountainous areas and the, the, the streams and, and the rivers, uh, it can become very dangerous, especially in the rainy season. And, and one of the things that they would do was to go up into these towers and, and look for different dangers and, and keep an eye out on, on the wildlife and the terrain and, and for fires and, and different things. As the story goes, this, this, this individual had noticed it was during the springtime of the year and, and because of the rain there were a lot of floods and, and he had noticed that there was an eagle that had landed on a fawn that, was, uh, that had died in the flood and it was stuck into the debris of the current of, of the stream. And, and, and as, he, as he watched this eagle on this fawn uh, that had landed on the fawn, he noticed that it was floating down the river through the current. And he knew that just a little bit down the way that, that this stream would fall off into a waterfall, in, uh, of the waterfall in, into a big 
uh, a lake-type area, and it would be uh, dangerous for that eagle to fall off in, over the waterfall uh, in, in, and possibly even plunge to its death. And so he began to go out and try to get the attention of the eagle. But it seemed as though the eagle was not paying attention uh, to him. And he began to pick up rocks and different things and to throw at the eagle. And he began to yell at the eagle to turn loose, to turn loose because he had the fear of what could happen uh, to the eagle. But to his dismay, the the eagle did go over the waterfall uh, to its death uh, with his talons that were locked into the prey of that fawn. The only thing he could figure that happened was that an eagle is talons, those of you that shoot a bow, and, and you know that, that you have these certain releases that they'll clamp, clamp around your loop, and when you pull, and the harder you pull, it, it, it creates more strength, and, and the same uh, with the talons of an eagle. So the only thing they can figure is that when that eagle had landed on that fawn, that his talons had locked into the flesh of that fawn. And the only way that it could be released was for, uh, for that eagle to be able to get enough pressure to release the talons. And the only thing they could figure is that when the eagle, with the weight of the fawn and the weight of the eagle, that every time he would try to release his, his talons, that he was not able to do so because of the pressure of the weight of, of the fawn, and thus it plunged to its death. I want to make a statement about that story. We find that for a short moment of time, with that eagle plunging to its death, that the eagle's appetite for food was greater than its instinct for survival. That his appetite for food was greater than his instinct for survival. The truth is, the eagle was only doing what came natural for him to do. And you see, my friend, if you plunge into the lake of fire, the truth is we all have conflicting instincts. The, the world and the flesh and the devil and the flesh is weak and, and the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we have these conflicting instincts. And the truth is you can plunge to a place called hell by doing nothing more than living what is natural for you to live. And that's exactly what happened to the eagle. You see, as we're born into this river of life that empties itself into the lake of fire, God in His graciousness has given three log jams as we drift in the wrong way. Thus, the title of the message, The Drifter Who Climbed to hell. You see, you can, as you're drifting in the wrong ways, we're going to bump up against these three log jams that I'm going to mention this morning. If you want, you can still climb over those log jams and go to hell. But it's your choice if you do that. You see, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I'm glad, you know, we quote John 3.16. I'll give you this one. I love this as well. We know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
I love to keep going. I enjoy to keep going and remind people that John 3.17 is often overlooked because of the popularity and familiarity of John 3.16. But John 3.17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So you see, in God's graciousness, He put three log gems in our life, in this river that we're drifting in the wrong way to keep us from going to hell. The first log jam that I want to talk about that I bumped up against almost 50 years ago, the first log jam of grace that God puts in our way in this river of life is called the compassion of other people. You see, over 50 years ago, on December the 6th, 1972, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. It all started because I had a little 11-year-old sister that rode the church bus. I think we had some kiddos that came today on the church bus. And some people that came to church by riding that old church bus. Boy, my little sister, she came to church on the church bus uh, and uh, uh, went to church on the church bus uh, and uh, she asked the Lord to come into her heart, asked Jesus to come into her heart. Boy, her life changed. My sister had her 12th birthday coming up and she decided that what she wanted for her birthday was for our whole family to come to church. I didn't want to go to church. I was 15 years old. I was a hippie had long hair way down to my ankles. Every time I tell the story, my wife says my hair gets longer, so we'll, we'll take it to the ankles right now. And, and so, but, but I had the long hair. No, probably not as long as we think it was from time to time in our, in our preacher stories, but I had, had the long hair and living the hippie-type movement. And, and Brother Wood, the other night in his testimony, he talk, started talking about the bell-bottom pants. And boy, I had all of that, the bell-bottom pants and the platform shoes and, and all of the wild, colorful uh, type of, uh, of shirts and, and, and the great old big wide belts and, and uh, the long hair, you know, that was just the style. Back then, all the tie-dye stuff, you know, the, the wilder and brighter that seemed, just seemed like the more we liked it. And, and, and that was the era that I, that I came through. That was my generation. And Brother Wood started telling his testimony. My wife looked over at me and grinned and, and so many similarities between uh, between the, the two of us and, and, and our testimonies. Boy, I had the world by the tail. I, I, and my sister wanted us to go to church for her birthday. My dad kept saying to her, Brenda, uh, tell us something that we can buy you for your birthday. We don't want to all go to church. Get, tell us a gift that we can get you. And my little sister at the time said, no, all I want is for my family to go to church with us. That's all she wanted. My daddy finally gave in and said, okay, if that's what you want, then we'll go to church. And so, oh man, I threw a fit. I didn't want to go to church. I wasn't a church kid. We respected God, but I wasn't a church kid. And, uh, and, and so, um, I, but my daddy said, well, you know, I, I, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to church. Well, my daddy's a little bit on the old, know a lot on the old-fashioned side. And, and back then, we didn't know about CPS and all of that kind of stuff. And my daddy just said, you're going to go to church. You're going to find a new place to live. 
And, you know, I, I say sometimes when I make reference to my dad, I come from the generation when my daddy said, frog, we all jumped, and we asked how high after we already jumped. That's, that's the kind of daddy that I had. I had a kind of daddy that when he unlo- unloosened that belt and, and, and you could hear it slapping out of, of the loops, and, and he grabbed those two loose ends in one hand and put a thumb in the loop of the other, and he came snapping that belt just to give us a little bit of warning at what was to come. That's the kind of home I was raised in. And so my daddy said, you go to church, you find a new place to live. Isn't it something? I felt real led to go to church after that comment. I ended up going to church. And I didn't know until later on that conviction began to set in in our family. I didn't know that that day that we all went to church and I rode the bus with my sister I didn't know that that day that, that my, my dad wept. We lived 11 and a half miles from the church. And I didn't know that that day my dad had to stop the car on the way home because he was under conviction and he knew that he needed to get saved, but he didn't get saved. But my dad, who was not an emotional individual, had to stop the car partway home because God had gotten a hold of his heart. And my daddy stopped the car and wept on the side of the road because he knew that he needed to get saved, but he didn't get it taken care of, but the conviction of God was all over him. And he had to stop the car just to weep until he could get to where he could see the road again. We didn't know until later that my mom had the fear of going to sleep at night in the fear that she would die in the middle of the night and go to hell, and so she was afraid to go to sleep in the middle of the night. We went to church again and, and, and with my sister and, 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 uh, and, and I ended up and I went to church again with my sister because God was working on my heart. But I got saved. I remember the preacher preaching that night and it was on a Wednesday night. And so I remember the preacher uh, saying, you know, I raised my hand during the invitation and I remember going down front and he says, uh, you know, if you raise your hand and said you want to get saved, why don't you come forward and ask the Lord to come in your heart and get that settled? So I left out of my pew, and actually I didn't even, didn't even go immediately, and I had a man that come up to me and touched me on the elbow. And he said, young man, I'll go with you if you'd like. And Brother Steve Smith, who's home with the Lord now, I walked down to the altar with Brother Smith by my side. And Brother Camp looked at me and he said, young man, why have you come? I didn't know all those religious terms. I, I thought he wanted me to tell him something deep about religion that I didn't know. And he said, why have you come? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, young man, you had to come for a reason, so why did you come? I said, I, I don't know. I thought he wanted the term. And he said, well, there had to be a reason. Why are you here? Why are you here? And they said, all I know is you said that if I want to go to heaven when I die, then to come down here and let you know about it. So that's why I'm here. I want to go to heaven when I die. And so they took me to a little side room. And boy, there's so much of the story I'd love to tell you. But took me to a little side room. I got on my knees, asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I'm telling you, I haven't been the same since. Amen. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God came in and took up residence inside of me and took that dead spirit and quickened that spirit and made my spirit alive again. I'm telling you, uh, the things I used to do, I didn't want to do those things anymore. There's been a great change since I was born again. 
had the long hair, and my preacher then, they told me, said, y'all get baptized. I said, okay, so come back the next week to get baptized. I'm standing down front, my mom and daddy are in the church services with us. We're all there as a family, and, and I'm standing down front, and the preacher again says to me, young man, why have you come? And I said, well, I came to get baptized. And he said, okay. Again, this is the hippie era movement. My preacher said to me, well, young man, your hair is so long, I'd like for you if we, he said, if we could show you in the Bible that it's a shame for a man to have long hair, would you get your hair cut and come back next week and let me baptize you next week? Now, personally, I don't do that. It's not the position we take. And, but that's the position my pastor took back then. I'm not saying it's right or wrong necessarily. God used it in our family. And so I said, sure. They showed me in 1 Corinthians 11. I said, I'll go home and get a haircut. Embarrass my dad. You know, he couldn't believe he came to see his boy get baptized. The preacher wouldn't baptize him because I'm a long-haired hippie. My dad never liked my hair. My mom and my sisters thought it was all so cute. And I probably was pretty cute, come to think of it. And so, you know, so... You know, the, uh, so the next week rolls around, so I go get a haircut. But I didn't get my haircut the way the preacher thought I ought to get my haircut. My hair was still below my ears after I got it cut. But I got enough cut that I thought I could comb it behind my ears and fake the preacher out. So I, uh, mom and dad are arguing. They weren't saved. Of course, it didn't matter when mom and daddy got saved. They still kept arguing quite a bit even after they got saved. And so, but the unique relationship, that's a whole nother story also. And, and so, uh, dad, mom and daddy fighting, I'm not going to church, that preacher's not going to baptize him, that preacher's a man, he, you didn't get a manly haircut, I'm not going to church. I'm crying, all upset, dad's mad, and preacher's not going to baptize me, I really am born again, I'm trying to please the Lord, I don't know anything yet about the gospel, and, and I know I just got saved, I want to get baptized, and, and I don't want to look like, I, I mean, I had one eyebrow that went across my head, because my, my hair had always come down, and, and it was cut kind of in a shag, so I could just shake it, and it all fall in place, and, and, and I'd cover up those eyebrows, I didn't know you're supposed to shave in the middle there, or pluck those, I didn't know anything about that, one eyebrow just went across the front and I thought if I get a haircut everybody's going to see my one eyebrow I don't want to do all of that and so uh, but I but I got a little bit cut off to satisfy everybody and think I could still maybe look okay and so dad says I'm not I'm not going to church mom and dad arguing carrying on and finally mom says on Sunday morning get up Gary I'll go to church with you so we did we go to church we're sitting in a service I'm scared to death that preacher's not going to baptize me I'm combing my hair behind my ears. Mom's standing next to me. At the end of the invitation, they're getting ready to close it all down. I looked up at Mom because I wanted to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, would you go with me? Look, y'all, I wasn't a soul winner. I didn't know anything about that. Only thing I was concerned about I wanted my mom to go with me so that if Brother Camp didn't baptize me, my mom could slap him and straighten him out. It's the only reason why I wanted her there. My mom said, yes, I'll go. I came down front, my mom's standing by me, and Brother Camp looks down at me and says, young man, you came to get baptized, didn't you? Yes, sir, I sure did. He said, well, I tell you what, 
He said, you got so much of your hair cut off. He said, I'm going to baptize you. He said, you didn't get the manly haircut that I wanted you to get. And I thought, oh, no, that sounds just like my daddy. And he said, but I tell you what, you got so much cut off, I can tell that you're trying. I'm going to baptize you this morning. So they took me off and got me ready for baptism. Left my mama standing at the altar. What my intentions for that to happen? But the preacher looked at my mom and said, and ma'am, why have you come? My mom said, I want to go to heaven when I die. And the day I got baptized, my mama got saved. My mom is in heaven this morning because of that decision years ago. So, we all go home. Although mom just got saved, she wanted to rub it in on dad a little bit. They baptized Gary and you weren't there. You know, it's kind of like, take that, Jack. By the way, Jack is my dad's name, so that you know. So, take that. So, my mom smoked like crazy. And that gets bigger out, you know, I tell the story. I think it probably started at a pack, and then it's been up to three or four packs, you know, so a day. And so, but mom smoked. She'd have a cigarette lit in one room and a cigarette lit in another room, chain smoker. And mom knew that there's some things that she got saved. I know y'all probably get out at noon, don't you? Do y'all mind if I just finish this? I'm having, having fun. And I'd love to tell them a testimony. I know Baptists get out at noon, but I'd like to finish this if I could. And so, so mom gets ready to, and she gets saved, and mom's life changes. She quits smoking. And she begins to clean up her language. My mom cussed better than my dad did. And so she began to work on her language. And so my dad decides he's going to go back to church with mom to see her get baptized. So the next week, we're all sitting in church, and Mom goes forward, and she looks at Dad, and she says, Jack, why don't you go with me? And my dad goes down, and I remember sitting there and watching my mom and Daddy walk forward in the church service, and, and the preacher says to my mom, and, and, and ma'am, you came to get baptized, didn't you? Yes, sir, I did. And they took Mom off to get her ready for baptism. They looked at Dad, and, and standing there, and the preacher said, and Sir, why have you come? And I heard my daddy say, Pastor, if it'll make my little 12-year-old daughter want us to come to church for her birthday, and by the way, I got my hair cut again that following week. Now it's up over my ears. I look weirder than I'd looked in a long time, in my opinion. And we're sitting there now. I got, uh, uh, you know, with a short haircut. And my daddy says, that if it'll make my daughter want us to come to church for a birthday, and if it'll make my son cut his hair and look like a man, if it'll make my wife quit her smoking, my dad said, I need the same God that my family has. And so my dad got saved that day, and they baptized mom and dad the same day. Mom and daddy, they put them in the baptistry, baptized one, baptized the other. Mom and daddy were so happy when, when they came up out of the water, the second one, they hugged each other up there in the middle of the baptistry and kissed each other on the lips in the middle of the baptistry. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. We hadn't been saved very long, but I had enough as a teenager to tell me to think, my mom and daddy embarrassing us in front of God and everybody right here in this church, making out in the baptistry. I mean, they only been saved for a week. I can't believe this. A, they did. They kissed right in the baptistry. You know what I'm thankful for? 
I'm thankful that I can say this morning I have a mom and daddy in heaven. And I'm thankful that I had a little 11-year-old sister that said, all I want is for our whole family to go to church. Oh, I could have died and gone to hell if I wanted to, but I'd had to climb over the compassion of a little sister. I want to ask you this morning, who is it you've got to climb over to go to hell? Who is it that loved you enough to invite you to church this morning? Who is it that's loved you enough to care for you? And maybe this morning uh, we're probably dealing with the saved crowd and I'm just wanting to wave the banner uh, for the Lord this morning and take a little bit longer to do so. But uh, uh, maybe somebody invited you and if we, if we want to take a little bit longer, I'd maybe have you stand and say, who was it that invited you and who invited you and who invited you and who cared for you and who had enough compassion for you? But I guarantee somebody along the way had enough compassion for you and you could have climbed over that if you wanted to, but you'd been drifting in the wrong direction to a place called the lake of fire. The first log jam, the log jam of grace is the compassion for others. I don't have time to preach all of this. I really am considerate of time. The second is the conviction. You're back into the river of life, drifting in the long direction. There's going to be another log jam that God has placed in your way. It's called the conviction, the greatest preacher in the whole world. And again, I don't have time for it. If we were to say, who's, the, who's your most favorite preacher this morning? We could begin to name preachers and, and brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so. And they'd all be great preachers, I'm sure. And some that we would all recognize. But there's a preacher that is a greater preacher than any name that we could mention this morning. And it would be, uh, uh, the reference to it would be the Holy Spirit of God. You see, you can turn, you can turn off a preacher. You can sleep in the middle of a message but the Holy Spirit of God will stick with you and when that conviction happens you'll try to go home and lay your head on your pillow and the Holy Spirit of God will tug on your heart and say to you you know you're lost you know you're lost you know you're lost that's why my mama couldn't go to sleep at night because the Holy Spirit of God was still preaching to her that's why my daddy pulled the car off on the side because the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to him you can shut everybody else down but if the Holy Spirit of God begins to speak to you. He's the greatest preacher in the world. The truth is you can climb over that log jam too if you want. But here's the scary thing. Brother Wood did such a good job preaching the other night. I preached a message through the years titled It's Too Late. It's Too Late. And The truth is you can say no to God one too many times. I don't have time to prove that this morning, but you can say no to God one too many times. My pastor, Brother Camp, used to thunder out when he had preached this, the point that you can say no to God one too many times. He would thunder out, and he said, if you say no to God one too many times, the peace of God will come on your heart. You'll sit in a church service 
and a conviction will never bother you again. You can hear a song sung and it will never move you again. And the Holy Spirit of God will leave you alone. But here's the sad thing. If you say no to the Holy Spirit of God one too many times and the Holy Spirit of God quits preaching to you and quits speaking to you, my pastor used to always say, when you say no to God one too many times and the Holy Spirit of God leaves you alone, he would thunder out and he would say, you are as lost as if you are in hell already. Lost. Look, I wouldn't feel good this morning if you have never been saved and you sit and you feel good about it. That's not a good thing to feel good about. That mean, might mean the Holy Spirit of God had just finally left you alone. That ought to scare us to death. But you can climb over the log jam of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now you're floating and drifting. You can almost hear the seagulls of hell now as you get closer to that waterfall that falls off into the lake of fire. I want to finish. I'll try to hurry the imagination. And you go up onto a a little sandbar and you notice that there are tracks that many tracks on that sandbar you go up on that sandbar and you're wandering around another log jam that God has given to you and you're startled you see somebody over here again using your imagination an old gray-haired man a long beard and it startles you and you say oh I'm sorry I didn't see you and what is your name and he says to you my name is Father Time you say, oh, Father Time, well, I've noticed all of these footprints. And as you look up, you notice there's a rock and there's a cleft in that rock and there's a cross in the middle of that rock. You see, the third log jam that you can climb over and drift into hell, the first is the compassion of others, the second is conviction of the Holy Spirit, and third is the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father Time says, as you look at all these footprints, you say, Father Time, tell me the story about all of this. How many people come by this way? And Father Time says, oh, they all come by here. And you say, well, Father Time, I notice that some of the footprints, they go to that cross. And then I see them heading off in another direction, but it looks to me like there are other footprints that goes back off into the river. So would you please tell me the story? And Father Time says, yes. You see, there are two sets of footprints. There's one group that comes, and they come to the foot of the cross, and it doesn't mean anything to them, and they ignore it, and they reject it. And, and, and he said they, they went off and went, uh, went back into the river of life, drifting in the wrong direction. And Father Time says, the last I heard of them, they were all screaming as they went over the, uh, the waterfall into the lake of fire, screaming, lost, lost, lost. You say, but Father Time, not everybody went that way, right? And Father Time says, oh no, not everybody went that way. There's some that came to the foot of that cross and they knelt, and they, they recognized the man that gave his life on that cross for them. 
And they yielded and knelt at that cross and asked, asked Jesus to become their Savior. And you say, oh, Father, time, I see another set of footprints that didn't go over the waterfall. What happened to that group of people? And Father Time says, oh, they're a happy group of people. He said, yeah, their footprints, you can see they headed in another way. You see, they're going upstream now because they got, an old, got on an old ship uh, called Zion. And the last I heard of them is they all singing on that ship going upstream, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Hey, y'all, I beg you this morning, don't allow yourself to climb over those log jams a grace that God has given to, to you, the compassion of somebody that loves you, the conviction, the Holy Spirit, and, and Christ on the cross. You can go to hell if you want to. But it's your choice. And you'll have to climb to do so. The drifter who climbed to hell. That's my testimony. I took a little bit longer I apologize for that. But now you know a little bit about us. I'm a bus kid. It's all I am, a bus kid. So those of you that got saved on the buses or came on the buses, we always, always honor our bus kids. You see, I know what God can do with the bus kid and what God can do with the bus family. My mom and daddy, my dad ended up being a deacon in our church. My dad drove a bus. My mom was a bus captain, and they served the Lord for many years in their lives. And I'm so thankful that I had a little sister that it all started with, that she had enough compassion to want all of us to come to church and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. I'm glad to be born again this morning. The drifter who climbed to hell. I love you all. Thanks for listening. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the morning. I pray that you'll help